Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome back, weirdos, to episode 102 of History for Weirdos. Yay! We're back, baby. (laughs) Stephanie is feeling a little under the weather, guys, but she's here to persevere and tell us an incredible story. It's so fun to be under the weather during a week where it's my episode. (laughs) I know, it just happens to be your week, and it's so much better when you're like a little under the weather, but it's the other person. Yeah, because then you can like just sit back and enjoy story time. But I'm orchestrating story time today. Well, I'm not feeling under the weather, and I'm really excited for story time. But before we even (laughs) dive into it this week, I want to remind you guys all that our trip is coming up. It's next April 2024. We're going to Rome, and we're going to Florence. And the link to the trip sign-up page and all the information that you need is in the show notes. So why don't you go down, give it a click, and if you're interested you're going to have an amazing time. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what else I was going to say there, but yeah, it's going to be an incredible time. I mean, you get to hang out with us in Rome, in Florence. Yeah, we're pretty cool. We've been to Rome. I, you've been twice. I've only been once, Mm -hmm. but neither of us have been to Florence. So we'll all be going to Florence for the first time together. Yeah. I think that's so cool to travel with a group of people with like common interests. Right. Is so much fun. It's so, so much fun because I'm sure we're all going to like get different things out of the trip and we can share and make memories and make friends. So please join us if you're interested. Yeah, I'm super excited to hang out with the weirdos. And something that I found really interesting is that we've have people who've signed up all the like as young as like early 20s all the way to uh, mid 50s. Yeah. So that it's incredible. I mean, and to me personally, like I love that. Mm -hmm. Like I love that we're going to have such a a big age range. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And with one common interest that we all have is history. So yay. And probably yummy food and travel and Yes, all the good things in life. <laughs> all the great things, yeah. History, yummy food and travel. What I mean, more could you want? I really maybe love Maybe love. Maybe you'll find love on this trip. Oh. oh. <laughs> Will I find love? <laughs> Will you find love? I couldn't even finish that question. I really I really don't advise that you continue with that train of thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stop there. Well, that being said, Stephanie, what do you have for us this week? This week, I have a story that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Similar to how last week, you finally regaled us with the tale of the Bronze Age collapse. It was really uplifting, wasn't it? Yeah. Anything with collapse in the title (laughs) is always fun. I have mentioned this person before uh, at least a couple times, I think, and I am excited to talk about her today. Oh, I'm really excited. Today we will be covering Malitzen, also known as Doña Marina also known as La Malinchi. Oh, I know La Malinchi. Yes. She was a significant historical figure during the Spanish conquest of the Aztec Empire in the early 16th century. Mm -hmm. As a result of her connection to Cortes and her role in the invasion, 
her actions have been the subject of controversy, for sure. Critics argue that, quote, La Malinche's involvement with the Spanish conquistadors, I hate that word, though. Let's call them what they are. Oh my God, guys. Her, the lo- She had a grimace on her face when she said that. It was like, usually she reserves those for me. Yeah. So um, I'm really glad it wasn't directed at me this time. The Spanish invaders led yeah, to the colonization and subjugation of many indigenous peoples. Her role as an intermediary is seen by some as a betrayal of her own culture and an act of collaboration with foreign oppressors. So, I think I mentioned this later, but I she's referred to as La Malinchi, which is like a bad nickname. It's yeah. a play on her name, and it's basically like that she's a bad woman. Um, and that's how I grew up learning about her, that she was this big traitor of her people. And I really want to look at that a little bit closer today. For the purposes of this episode, I'm actually going to refer to her as either Malinali or Malitzen. And you'll learn why later. Um, Malitzen has a specific significance, but her birth name is Malinali. I think I'm saying that correctly. But her her nickname in modern culture, La Malinchi, is synonymous with deceit or betrayal. It's kind of like how we have Benedict Arnold. Oh, wow. Calling someone that means to call them a betrayer. Wow. Yeah. Really harsh. That's very (laughs) harsh. And I know you're probably going to give it like a humanizing touch and give Mm. more context and everything. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Typhoid Mary, an episode we did way back when. Yeah, that's a really good point. I do want to have like a more nuanced perspective on this really historically significant person and just acknowledge that she was a person. Right. And we're going to learn a lot more about her circumstances. Funny that you mentioned Typhoid Mary, though. I, As I was doing research, I was like, wow, she is so heavily contrasted with another person that I covered who was Princess Erendira. Yes. Who was seen, uh, that's an earlier episode. She's a real person but has really been kind of pulled into myth and folklore in Mexico because she was the... Purepecha princess during the Spanish invasion and she fought like rallied her people to fight against them so that's seen as you know a hero yeah like her foil mm-hmm. so it's really interesting to have this contrast here yeah um yeah let me just jump into her story so again I'm probably I actually have never heard her birth name said before so I'm probably saying it incorrectly. I apologize if anyone knows how to pronounce it. Feel free to let me know. But I'm going to call her Mali Nyali at the beginning. Okay. And that is the native language of the Aztecs, right? Mm-hmm. What, just remind me, what was that called again? Nawa. Nawal, mm-hmm. right? The oh. Nawa language, yeah. We will get into all of that. Don't you worry. Sorry. Language is actually a really important part of this episode. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Malinelli was born around 1500. We're not 100% sure, though. Mm-hmm. She was the eldest daughter, eldest child, actually, of a native Mexican noble and thus was well-educated. We know this for sure. She would have been very well-educated. She grew up in a region of the Yucatan Peninsula where both the Mayan and Aztec empires had influence, but neither had complete control over this region. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Her parents named her Malignali after the goddess of the grass. But at a young age, her family added the name Tenepal to her name, which means one who speaks with liveliness. Uh, so it seems that early on, she displayed a talent for communication, which will come into play during her story. I just think that's so cute. I think she must have been like six, and they just added the second part to her name <laughs> because I can picture this cute little six-year-old not shutting up and talking to everybody all the time. And they're like, wow, you're such a good talker. <laughs> <laughs> you won't shut up. <laughs> Let's wow. add that to your name. <laughs> but sadly, early in her life, I think maybe around the age of eight, all the sources differ. Her father dies. Oh. And horrifically, she's enslaved right after his death. Again, she we think she's about eight or nine years old when this happens. Jeez. And every historical text about her tells the story a little differently. Mm-hmm. Or pr- I guess this one detail is very different. We don't know if her own family sold her into slavery or if she was kidnapped because her family was seen as weak, having lost the male head of the home. Wow. Those are two very different stories. Yeah, very, very different. So we don't know exactly, but we do know that she loses her freedom at this really young age. And she does not see her family again. That we do know. And as an enslaved little girl, she would have done a lot of domestic chores, cooking, cleaning, things like that. Um, And then here's a teeny bit of a content warning if you need to skip ahead. She also would have been rented out to adult men to sexually assault her. Wow. That was really common practice for female slaves. I mean, you're already putting into context like her future dealings actually really well. Yeah. I can't imagine living a life like that as a child completely on your own and having all the adults around you literally treat you like an object. Literally. Like you mean nothing. And this was actually um, pretty common practice specifically for women and girls to be into slavery. I don't think males were enslaved as frequently. It was something that happened to women. So it's almost like kind of like the modern equivalent of like human trafficking for, but like sex yes, trafficking. Yes, yes, exactly. I think that's more what the arrangement was like. So she was sold a couple of times during her early years of enslavement. And as a result, she traveled around the Yucatan Peninsula. And during this time, she became fluent in uh, Yucatec, the the language of the Mayans, in addition to already speaking Nahuatl, the language of the Aztecs. So at this point, she's bilingual now. Oh, very cool. And she's, yeah, on her own just by listening to it. And then in 1519, Malignali's life and the history of Mexico are forever changed by the arrival of Hernán Cortés. The Spanish conquistador. (laughs) Invader. Invader. I literally stopped mid-word. I think the reason it bothers me is it's Thai in the Spanish language. This is totally not in my notes. You guys, I'm going off the cuff. When you say conquistar in Spanish, it does mean to conquer, but it also is used in a romantic sense where it's Mm. kind of like the recipient wants to be conquered it's, oh wow it's like oh you hear it like oh como how did my dad conquest you 
¿Cómo te conquistó mi papá? Like, how did he win you over? So it, it implies that the other party wants to be won over. Interesting. And, and that there's some sort of agency right. on the other party. I feel like invasion is, is much more appropriate for what happened with the Spaniards in South and Latin America. Right. So I don't know. That could just be me, though. That could just be me. <laughs> But well, you do have a much better understanding of Spanish language being like a native speaker than I think the average, like our most listeners here. I also think like culturally all over the world, the, for a long time, the conquistadors, as we say, like were seen as romantic figures. I think so. Looking back at it, it was like the Aztec people were savages yeah. and like the conquistadors introduced like Christianity and Yeah, they're like these oh, these are these cool explorers who went out into the world and gave them Jesus and <laughs> right. things like that wouldn't and that's just absolutely not what happened. We're gonna see a lot more in this story how things actually played out. Um so that's why the word bothers me. Well that was a really interesting aside actually. Yeah. Thank you. And I will say, actually, another aside before I move on is in this episode, I do not go into the life of Cortez. I don't even go into the life of Moctezuma. They're mentioned, but I really wanted to focus on Maliniali. I really just wanted the story to be about her. We have plenty of resources and movies and shows and videos to learn more about those two men and their dynamic. Right. But I really wanted to focus on her for this. Yeah, absolutely. This is history for weirdos after all. Yeah, We go that's for the right. unsung hero or the people who were misunderstood. That's right. Very good way of putting it. So, as I was saying, the Spanish colonizer Hernán Cortés arrived in Mexico with the intention of establishing a foothold in what they called the New World. Right. He arrived with 11 ships 508 soldiers, about 100 sailors, and 16 horses. That's a lot. It's a lot, but it's like it doesn't seem like an invasion force. I'm sure you're going to get into it. It seems like more of like an expeditionary force. Yeah, that's interesting. They're, they're not an expeditionary force. That is weird. They are there 100% to invade. Hmm. They're there. I Again, I didn't go into this in my notes, but essentially they believe that so they know that the Aztec Empire is insanely powerful and vast and wealthy. Right. And they basically just want to take their resources, prim primarily like gold is what they think they will find. Yes. So he lands in Tabasco, where he stayed for a time in order to gain intelligence from the locals. He's like, he comes across as like, oh, yeah, yeah, I just want to see what's going on here. Like, I'm just playing nice. Right. Um, and to keep the peace with these foreigners that randomly showed up on their doorstep the local people are like oh here's some gifts among those gifts that they give to cortez are 20 women oh man 20 enslaved women one of whom is maliniali so once given to the spaniards the women were baptized by catholic priests who traveled with cortez and each was given the european name Marina. Yes. All 20 women were given the same name. Oh, my God. <laughs> that kind of, like, defeats the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it shows you just that they... Okay. <laughs> the contradiction here of a 
baptism of slaves. Right. Like that is insane to me. Why would you do that and not immediately free these people so they could go back to their homes? Right. It's because you don't actually believe in what you're <laughs> preaching. Like 100%. It's, it's all, all for show. show. And ah, jinx. <laughs> and I think it shows for both cultures here how devalued women were. They are so devalued. We're not even going to bother to give them individual names. Right. It's just all the same. They're all Marina. Just like copy paste times 20. They're all just women is what that implies. Wow. That's, that's some good insight. Thanks. It was really irritating doing research. (laughs) I know. I could tell that you're like holding back so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably good that I'm a little sick because it's (laughs) tempering me down. (laughs) But after these women are baptized, given the same name, Cortez gave um, Malignali to one of the noblemen who was serving under him. He didn't keep her personally at first. But our girl, she noted that they had an interpreter with them. This was, I believe, a Spanish priest. And he spoke some Yucatec, but he did not speak any Nahuatl. Oh, interesting. Uh huh. And she made her gift for languages known and eventually word reaches Cortez that she can speak both of those languages. And he was like, oh, let me give her back then. Like, bruh, she's mine now. Yeah, so he resumed ownership of her. Initially, Malignali is paired with that interpreter, the Spanish priest. But from hanging out with him, she very quickly picks up Spanish and she renders him useless. Wow. She becomes the only person there who can speak Spanish, Yucatec, and Nahuatl. That's really impressive. That's insane. I mean, that's like like an English person never having heard like Chinese or Japanese. Something that's just so linguistically different. Just kind of going in within, I don't know, a short period of time. Just being like, oh yeah, I'm like semi-fluent now. I think this would have been under the time frame of weeks. Because this wow. all happens in like... Oh, so she's, she's low-key brilliant. Yes. She is brilliantly gifted with languages. Which makes me think of her childhood second right. name, Tenepal. The one who speaks with liveliness. Yes. AKA one who doesn't shut the hell up. (laughs) It serves her well here. It does, yeah. She becomes Hernán Cortés's sole interpreter for the remainder of this invasion. So Cortés's goal was clear. He wanted to overthrow the vast and mighty Aztec power in the name of the Spanish crown. Uh Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. He was ready and willing to use every tool at his disposal to do just that, including Malignali. I think it's important here to point out that as a woman and as an enslaved person, she has very little say in most things in her life. And I think that her intentionally speaking up to showcase her strengths and becoming his interpreter is a way of her gaining some agency here. Absolutely. I mean, to be... I don't know like what their society was like. I know very, mm-hmm. actually very little about like Aztec uh, society, but it, I, I'm assuming it was very patriarchal. Yes. And so it's like, she's a woman, first of all, and she's enslaved. And then so here come these whammy. Spaniards who are arriving with the belief that they are inherently better and it's just men. So all these things are up against her. Right. But she, u- she knows that this is her strength and she uses it to keep herself safe. She's very strategic 
and she's very not passive. And I think that's part of why she's so demonized later on. Right. And also like, I mean, if someone, if you have this like foreign invader coming, but they're giving you a better life, they're taking you outside of, I guess in a way she's still enslaved, but like, it sounds like her life is, is better right than before. Mm. You don't see them as an invader. You see them as a liberator. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just, I'm just saying that I, that just is. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. I don't know if she would see them as liberators, but I think she saw it as like a step up. Right. For sure. Uh, during Cortez's conquest of the Aztec empire, she's basically his right hand. She's always with him. She's always at his side. And through his linguistic, through her linguistic skills, excuse me, she enabled diplomatic exchanges, negotiations, and alliances. In fact, in recognition of her position within Cortez's forces, his followers begin to address her with the title Doña. That's why she's also known as Doña Marina. It's an honorific, meaning lady, but it's reserved for women of noble birth in Spanish society. Right. Like Lady Danbury, <laughs> like something like that, but without the British accent. <laughs> yeah, I figured and it was at this time that also the Aztec community began calling her Malitzen. This is a combination of her birth name with a Nahuatl honorific. So for the remainder of the story, oh. I'll refer to her as Malitzen. Interesting. Mm-hmm. In fact, she became such a key figure that the Aztec people actually would use the name Malitzen when talking about Cortez. Oh. So they saw him as like her companion. Wow. So he's the extension of her, not the other way around. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. They were like, oh, she's really running the show here. If there were, you, you see in letters and stuff like that, like they reference her. They don't say like, oh, Cortez is coming to do negotiations. They say Malitzen is coming to do negotiations. Wow. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. That is so fascinating. Yeah. That shows how prominent and powerful she was even while being enslaved yeah it was crazy she appears in every illustration of cortez meeting with native leaders and nobility and is sometimes even shown negotiating on her own like he's not even there <laughs> she even uncovered plots to betray the spanish and she gave him plenty of time to stop those plots eventually malitzen introduced Cortez. Cortez, excuse me, to indigenous leaders who were against the dominance of the Aztecs, right? Yes. This is contributing to the formation of a coalition that is crucial for Spanish victory later on. Mm -hmm. At some point, we know that Malitzen becomes Cortez's, quote, mistress. And the term mistress is used over and over again in sources that we have about her because Cortez was married. He had a wife back home in Spain. But it's crucial to note that even with the respect that she earned, that we just mentioned, she's still enslaved. He's her owner. Right. So since Malitzen left no writings about herself and Cortez barely mentions her at all in his writings, he just passively will refer to his interpreter. It's impossible for us to know if she wanted a physical relationship with him at all. We, we just can't know, like, the nature of their relationship from the outside. Yeah. So the next section of my notes is just timeline of Cortez's bullshit. <laughs> That's how I titled it. I am not even <laughs> remotely surprised about this. Yeah. So his goal 
becomes, I'm going to kill the Aztec leader, Montezuma or Moctezuma. He's referred to as both. I'll probably use them interchangeably. Um, he's Moctezuma II, technically. Mm-hmm. And he wants to end the rule of the Aztec Empire, ushering in this new era of Spanish domination. That's really cool, dude. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> okay. Okay, what a lame goal. So Moctezuma. Wait, but, 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 sorry, sorry. Just uh-huh. before you go on, it, I'm like, this is probably like the foreign policy of like pretty much all European powers for the next like three to four hundred years. Yeah. Like rinse and repeat for not. I mean, even like outside of Spain, right? Like yeah. Portugal, like the French, the great yeah, France, Great Britain, even yeah. Germany at, at a time. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of those in specifically Africa, actually. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's really really interesting um horrific things happen but it's just interesting to see how we now looking at a lot of these places like mexico included we can't sort of like pull those uh, european cultures apart from these identities anymore yeah that's true it's really interesting If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Bloomingdale's, Levi's, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. But back to this story. So... Moctezuma actually addressed all of his official correspondences to the Spanish to Malitzen. He wrote to her. Interesting. Okay. He didn't write to Cortez. He wrote to her. Wow. Yeah. And through these correspondences, she gets him, she gets Moctezuma to invite the Spanish to come and stay at Tenochtitlan, which is modern day Mexico City, more or less. And it's just when they arrive... They are, like, their jaws are dropped. Right. They have never seen anything like this. Weren't you just showing me a video on TikTok about Tenochtitlan? Yes, I was. It was it was a really cool overlay of present-day Mexico City and then kind of, like, artist interpretation over, like, decades of study, like, showing what uh, Tenochtitlan would have looked like at it in its prime. And it was, it's incredible. It's gorgeous. I know, it's, it's sadly, like, way cooler than, like, present-day Mexico City, to be honest. No, yeah, it was so um, different than anything they had seen. It was, and it would have been, like, if you would have just taken Tenochtitlan and put it smack dab in in the middle of Europe, it doesn't matter, uh, it would have been one of the top three biggest cities in the entire continent. Yeah. And that's what people were just shocked. The Spanish were shocked. Yeah. That it was just so massive, like, interconnecting canal networks, like, major, like, what we'd call highways. Yes. For lack of a better term, like, uh, on bridges leading, like, for, like, miles. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. And uh, so many of the men on this um, 
invasion expedition whatever right (laughs) right home right about it and they're just like this is to them i think was perceived as almost very futuristic Mm -hmm. very modern futuristic really special Um, they had zoos documents mm -hmm. prove that they had zoos moctezuma loved animals apparently yeah Mm -hmm. yes that's true (laughs) (laughs) that's just like a random tidbit it's like not even remotely important to the story but i just love that yes you could have gone to an an aztec zoo like 500 plus years ago if we ever travel back let's definitely stop by the zoo yeah when we're there (laughs) um so they are invited to hang out as guests right no one here to, to my understanding is very clearly saying their intentions prior right it's just tense because you don't come with soldiers and weapons and say that you're just like on an expedition yeah, we're here for a peacekeeping mission. Yeah. <laughs> and so obviously in the Aztec culture was very like warrior based. They're very um It's very militaristic, right? Yeah, kinda like the Romans in that sense. Like all men would have served in the military. So they're on edge as it is. <laughs> and so <laughs> Cortez is like, Yeah, yeah, let's go. And when they arrive, they're the worst house guests you could ever imagine because they kidnap the emperor oh my god i forgot about this part of the story i'm like dude that's so rude <laughs> that's that's one way of uh being polite yeah cortez believed that the aztecs would not attack he was scared right he's really scared to go in because he knows how fierce these people are so he's like oh if i kidnap this guy they're not gonna hurt me because i could just hurt him and they used him for some time as a puppet ruler basically it wasn't like obvious that they had kidnapped him Mm -hmm. to the outside right um and they were just telling him what to say and what to do but the people caught on as to what was going on so cortez was wrong (laughs) in his assumption that this was a great plan what a shocker what a shocker in 1520 the aztec people rebel against the spanish invasion they understand what's happening and they fight back after several days of of fighting the Spaniards try to flee the Nochitlan under the cover of darkness, but they're spotted by locals who rally the Mexica warriors and they attack. Although some of the Spaniards did escape, including Cortez and Malitzen, many were slain and uh, these dudes, they're trying to escape, right? <laughs> In the dead of night, they have this plan, but the Spanish soldiers are like, but on our way here, I stole a bunch of gold and oh stuff. Oh, my God. Can I bring that with me? This so is so on brand, by the way. It's so on brand. So they're trying to escape literally like with wheelbarrows of like treasure, <laughs> which understandably <laughs> slows them down. <laughs> this is... I, I, guys, I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because this is so just quintessential and like it's almost cliche it's cliche it definitely is so they lose their their people Uh, a lot of them die they lose their treasure oh no and so the spanish refer to this uh, botched escape as la noche triste or the sad night the night of sorrows and i'm wondering if it's just because of the lost treasure i was like (laughs) i mean I think for a majority of people in that region, it's probably not that. It's just not for a very night of small, small, small minority of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the Mexica 
rejoice. So Mexica, Mexica, it's an indigenous group as well. Um, I really can't get into like the different tribes and how they're connected and stuff because right. I don't know enough. But essentially, they're like as they're Aztecs. Um, I know it's like a, there's like it's like a confederation. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like some are more integrated than others, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and and it's really complex. It's actually, very very complicated. They ha- these are full on nations that were already living and existing and having alliances and things like that. Right. Um. So the Mashika are, are are closely allied. Essentially, they rejoice. Um, but they make a huge tactical error in not pursuing the Spanish immediately. That is a huge error. Instead, the invaders are allowed to retreat to uh, Tlaxcala, and they regroup there. Yeah, they're the big enemies of the Aztecs. The mm-hmm. ch- the, I can't say that word. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. But we know the story doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end with the Night of Sorrows. So... One of the most devastating problems brought on by the Spanish was the introduction of diseases such as smallpox, to which the indigenous population had no immunity. So in this same year, in 1520, a smallpox epidemic broke out amongst the Aztecs and their allies, leading to widespread death and weakening the empire. This spread of disease lasted for at least a year. Yeah. And the epidemic significantly facilitated the Spanish conquest because this indigenous population was decimated, absolutely decimated by the disease. And then in 1521, Cortes and his forces, along with the indigenous allies that Malitzen had secured, lay siege to Tenochtitlan. Oh, so sad. (laughs) They burn and break down a bunch of stuff. They destroy the city, essentially. The capital of the Aztec Empire is a show of force. And after months of intense fighting, the city falls to the Spanish on August 13th, 1521. The fall of Tenochtitlan marked the end of Aztec dominance in the region and the beginning of Spanish colonial rule. Wow, for centuries. For centuries, yeah. So the Spanish established a colonial regime regime that relied heavily on forced indigenous labor and tribute, essentially, after the conquest. The indigenous populations were often subjected to harsh conditions and forced to work in mines and on plantations. The Spanish exploited local resources, including precious metals like gold and silver. And additionally, the Spanish sought to impose their cultural and religious beliefs Mm -hmm. on the indigenous people. This included the destruction of temples and religious symbols, as well as the conversion, quite often forced conversion, of indigenous populations to Christianity. Many aspects of indigenous culture were suppressed and lost during this period. I could say, you know, anecdotally, there's a town in Michoacan, where my family's from, called Tzintzuntzan, which I think I've mentioned before. It was known for being the um, kind of like the capital of the Purépecha Empire. And there are these beautiful pyramids there. We call them Yacatas. That's the name for them in the Purépecha language. And the you go you can go see them now, um, these archaeological sites, but most of the pyramids are like half broken. Mm-hmm. Like the tops are gone or like half of the pyramids gone because they use they stole 
those stones and use them to build um, churches and convents. And so in Sinsunsan, you can see from the pyramids, it's like on this like cliffside, you can actually see this like really big convent that they built with the same stones. Wow. So they a lot of history was destroyed Ugh. in addition to all the other horrors that were happening. I mean, I, I can only imagine also all of the literature that was lost during yeah. this time. Like it, that is such a shame. Yeah. So much culture being, like I said, suppressed and erased like mm-hmm. almost overnight. Yeah. The Spanish crown also granted land, um, estates encomiendas they're called to any Spanish people who wanted to come and settle. Mm-hmm. in Mexico. So they would just steal land from indigenous people and give it to Spanish people who were like, this is mine now. So this led to further displacement of the indigenous communities. Um, the problems caused by Cortez and just the Spanish invasion in general has had lasting impacts on the indigenous population of Mexico. The conquest marked the beginning of a new era characterized by the mixing you could say of cultures and the formation of a new society the legacy of these events including the conflicts diseases and cultural changes like is still very prevalent in mexican identity wow and over five centuries later yeah very very prevalent it's such an interesting uh, one of the greatest mexican writers octavio paz i really recommend reading his work he writes a lot about the conflicts and contradictions of Mexican identity. Mm, that's he, interesting. Yeah, he's a really good writer. But let's get back to our girl. Let's yeah. see what she's doing. So Malitzen's life continued to be enigmatic even after the conquest. After the conquest of the Aztec Empire was complete, Malitzen continued to live with Cortez as his slave and interpreter. She bore him a son. Martin in 1522. Again, it's impossible to know whether she wanted this or if it was forced upon her. We just don't know. Right. Martin is considered one of the first mestizos. Mestizo is the term used by the Spanish to refer to someone of mixed Spanish and indigenous heritage. The mestizo identity is one that many Mexican people today still resonate with. Like, my mom calls herself Mestiza, someone who's mixed with both. Right, and it's funny because she did a 23andMe, and very very much so, she's she's a mix between the two. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's pretty accurate. Even, like, throwing some Italian in there, like, coming out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and you're like, what? what? <laughs> where, did that, where did that come from? It's interesting that a lot of people really identify with this. I think it probably feels like you're acknowledging the interplay of these cultures and ethnicities. When the Spanish were sort of dominating Mexico, at least, I I really don't know if this applies to other colonies they had. Mm -hmm. I would assume so, though. They did have a caste system. Oh. They set up a caste system with um, Spaniards born in Spain at the top. Oh, yes. Okay, I've heard of this. Followed by... What you know, and that can only last so long. Followed by what was called the criollo class, which is you can be born in the Americas, but you are of pure Spanish blood. 
So that's also like the top. Like as long as you're pure Spanish, you're at the top. And then the caste system, it's very intricate and it's very detailed. And it is like, oh, if you are this much indigenous, but this much Spanish, you're here. Right. Like the higher the percentage of Spanish, the, the better, higher basically. you are on the totem pole, essentially. Yeah. Um, mestizos, like someone that's just pretty much 50-50 or like in the middle, obviously. Same with um, maybe in English. I don't know if it has a derogatory term so I, ho- I apologize if it does but the mulatto class was lower than the mestizo class because that is the mix of spanish and african ancestry oh, wow. so even though it's mixed it's 50 50 they're darker skinned so they're still lower on the totem pole it is really messed up yeah that is messed up but it was a big big part of society um, in the spanish colonies for a really long time So her kids are, and I'll get to the kids in a second, are considered some of the first mestizos was that point. So in 1524, Malitzen traveled with Cortez to the area of modern-day Honduras, where she again served as his interpreter and helped him suppress a rebellion, basically. I don't know if in Honduras... Do, like were they speaking Aztec or Yucatec? How does she know so many languages? Yeah, because isn't that <laughs> in South America, like far, like not far south, but I mean it's it's like it's not Mexico, yeah. like present day Mexico. It's far, it's way farther south. I know in Guatemala, for example, she modern day Guatemala, she would have been fine because most people there were Maya mm-hmm. or of Mayan descent, and she spoke Yucatec, so. But Honduras, I'm like, how many languages does this lady speak? She might have been a polyglot. That's, I mean, the fact that she could pick up Spanish so quickly, even though it's yeah. not even remotely linguistically tied to the other two languages, that's, that I mean, beyond impressive. It's incredible. It really is. But then in that same year, once they get back from Honduras, Malitzen marries one of Cortez's captains, Juan Jaramillo. Cortez arranges this marriage for her. Okay, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it elevates her to the status of a free Spanish noblewoman. So once she's married to a Spaniard, she's no longer considered an enslaved person. And she gets the rights and privileges of the noble class. We think now that he arranged this marriage because his wife was about to arrive. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What a POS. (laughs) So he has like a kid with this woman. Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, ooh, yeah, my wife's coming. So let me just have you marry one of my friends. And he doesn't really have a choice anyway. So, because I'm his boss, too. This guy sounds like <laughs> a great dude. Yeah, he sounds like he was a great, great guy. Um, so even though her marriage did mean, like, major status improvement for her, it really is still an instance where her life is altered for the benefit of someone else. Right. It just bothered me so much that even something like this she really doesn't have a say no she doesn't it's like what else am i gonna do so malitzen then had a daughter named maria oh my god (laughs) unsurprisingly uh with juan jamarillo in 1526 and her marriage meant that both of her children would be a part of spanish nobility back in spain and they had major prominence as members of this new mixed race generation. And this earned Malitzen the title of the mother of the mestizos. She's considered, obviously, 
she's not like the only person right having mixed kids but they were just so prominent these families that that, that she's known as that even today oh okay Malitzen dies in 1529 during a smallpox outbreak. Oh my God. So she would have only been, I mean, assuming she was indeed born in 1500, she's only 29. Yeah. Oh my she God. She's, old. she's younger than we are. She's younger than we are. She's only 29 years old when she passes. And in her short life, she was one of the most important and significant figures in Mexican history, really. And. She left the world. I read this in one of the articles that really noted she left the world a free woman. Right. You know, as much as a woman could be in that situation. And as I've mentioned throughout this episode, many historians still debate how her life should be interpreted. But what we know for certain is that she was smart. She was strategic. And her actions changed the course of Mexican history. Right. Absolutely. It did. And prior to us wrapping this up, I really do want to touch on indigenous culture in Mexico today. Okay. Because I don't want to end it on a total bummer. <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of terrible things were done to erase indigenous culture. And I want to show how it still exists today. So despite the historical challenges caused by colonization, there are numerous signs of continued indigenous identity and pride throughout Mexico. Here are some of the key indicators that we see that there's still a lot of cultural vibrancy here. Many indigenous languages are still spoken in Mexico today. 68 languages per the Mexican government. Oh, wow. That's quite a few. That's a lot. Efforts to preserve and revitalize these languages have gained momentum with communities working to pass them on to younger generations. The Mexican government has also taken steps to recognize indigenous languages as national languages, like the official languages, highlighting their importance. I know, for example, when I was in Merida, which is in the state of Yucatan, um, a lot of the kids st spoke Maya. And I was asking a woman like, oh, wow, how how is that being passed down? And she said in school. Oh, that's but really cool. But the local cool. schools still teach, they teach Spanish, English, and Maya to the kids. Wow. Yeah. And then in Mexico, we also celebrate many indigenous festivals, rituals, and traditions. Very famously, Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead is an indigenous tradition. And then La Galagueta in Oaxaca is an indigenous uh, celebration where basically it's just like you show off all the beautiful music, dance, and culinary practices of Oaxaca. And then in terms of cuisine, you and I talk about this a lot actually, indigenous ingredients and cooking methods are deeply embedded in Mexican cuisine. Like from the right. instruments we use, the morcajete to mash things, to like the corn, the beans, the chili peppers, a lot of herbs, a lot of teas were just staples in indigenous diets. Many indigenous diets in Mexico were plant-based and they remain an integral part of Mexican dishes today. Lastly, efforts to educate the public about indigenous history, traditions, and contributions are increasing. The federal government's really getting involved with schools, museums, and cultural centers to incorporate indigenous perspectives into their curricula. And then I'll end this with a quote about Malitzen from one of the articles that I used as a source for today. The author described her as, quote, intelligent and resourceful woman, betrayed, enslaved, buffeted between two empires, somehow emerging 
as a historical giant in her own right. And that, my dear weirdos, is the story of Malitzen. Wow, thank you. Yeah. That was incredible. Oh, good. I'm I, glad. I had heard of like what I, how I know her as La Malinchi before, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I didn't, I didn't know most of this actually. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I grew up hearing about her. I grew up hearing about her basically as like La Madre de los Mestizos and as a traitor. Wow. So kind of, so it, it's almost like she had a dichotomy of identity, even like, yeah. it, like in your childhood. Because it sounds like she's mother of like the, who we are today, but yeah. then she's also a, a Benedict Arnold. Yeah. So you're like, but it almost seems like that those are like mutually exclusive. It definitely speaks to cultural values for sure, right? What is something that you would praise a woman for is becoming a mother. Right. What is something you would not praise her for is putting her own interests first. Yeah. Right. That's very interesting. Just like lots of men throughout history have done. Yeah. And I'm not... I mean, I, Cortez. Right there. I mean, I, when you said, like, he was doing it for the Spanish crown, I'm like, no, he's doing it for his own personal glory. And he, then his excuse is doing it for the Spanish crown. Yes. Again, I didn't want to go in too much to him, but basically he was not rich, but from, like, a noble family. Yeah. And kind of, like, just meandered and didn't wasn't really great at anything for most of his life um, until this this was inspirational yeah, this, <laughs> this was the glory that he he wanted he he was known for being like um like very clever i think would be mm. the term like he was very clever as a kid but also as a, an adult man was known to be kind of a booze hound and a womanizer right i was gonna say he sounds very much like a philanderer yeah absolutely um and he's not judged Look at the things he did, and I feel like he's not judged nearly as harshly. No, he's not judged as harshly, and also the his allies, his native allies. If he didn't have them, mm-hmm. he Cortez could not have conquered Tenochtitlan. It, that it that is like almost like historical. Oh yeah, he didn't facts. have enough people. No, he absolutely did not. And so like how she's vilified, it's so incredibly unfair, and honestly, just kind of silly. Yeah. Because I I, I can't remember you said them earlier the chlock the schlock. I can't uh, even. Tlaxcala? Tox, yes, thank you. I can't pronounce that. Um, That's okay. But they, like, they were instrumental, even maybe even more so than mm-hmm. the Cortez, were instrumental in taking down the Aztecs. And also, it's kind of the Aztecs' fault, too, because they, they made were so, so many enemies. Yeah, they were brutal conquerors themselves. Yeah. So, like, they have kind of no one to blame but themselves. It's interesting because all of those roles that you just described are men right yes. who are the leaders in these cultures and most cultures throughout history it's men they're the ones being bad <laughs> rulers making bad decisions right being harsh to their like their subordinate cultures yes yes and they are not seen as the blame but she is seen as the blame she's literally the only woman in the room right and she's the only one who can speak everyone's language, literally. <laughs> literally. And it's like, oh, it's her fault. I know. It's just, it's silly. It's Honestly, so it's silly. just a really bad view, in my opinion. And it's just, it's incredibly flawed. Yeah, I agree. We are much, much harsher throughout history on women than men. And she's a really prime example of that. I honestly don't know what 
you could want for, from her, she was enslaved. I was going to say she didn't really. As a child, yeah. she was sexually abused. Like, of course, she's going to be like, let me do whatever I can to keep myself safe. Right. That's kind of like what I said earlier. It's like, how can you possibly blame her? Yeah. Knowing these circumstances, right? Yeah. It's She wasn't, she didn't go to Cortez willingly. She was literally sold to him. Sold to him or amongst. Or not sold, but given as a gift. But you know what I mean. Given to him amongst 19 other women. Right. Like, that are all in the same position as her of like, we're just property. We're all Marina. <laughs> I know. And she did what she had to do to survive. That's truly how I see it. Yeah. I honestly don't blame her in the slightest. Yay. I'm so glad. Neither yeah. do I. And I hope you don't either weirdos. It's I, I really, it's not like that weird of a story, but it's one that I think is very nuanced and one that I wanted to explore. Right. So I hope you all enjoyed it. Well, I enjoyed it. Good. And let me share my resources for this week. Uh, my first resource is a book called Hijas de la Historia, Daughters of History by Isabel Revuelta. It's a really interesting book that my mom got me where oh, cool. it's like each chapter is based on a different woman in Mexican history. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Women and the American Story is this incredible, I think it's a foundation that I found that had the most nuanced non-biased interpretation i could find of malitsen's story it was really good and then a jstor daily article called who was la malinchi thought co had lots of different um tidbits about the spanish invasion and everything like that britannica and wikipedia of course shocking shocking indeed <laughs> i hope you all enjoyed that i know it was a little different and there's so much more information obviously about like the the invasion and conquest itself that i just was like no it'll be I mean, too long but that's so well documented that i'm glad that you went down the route of the the parts that aren't as well documented yeah. you know and of course you had to mention like the invasion because it is the backdrop of the story yeah like you can't ha tell the story of la malinchi without the story of the invasion exactly so th i think that makes sense yeah thank yeah. you for being such a good uh, listener, babe. You know, I appreciate I what I you can. so much. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, weirdos. You're also amazing listeners. Yeah, I don't give you enough credit. I know, you guys didn't make a single peep the entire time. <laughs> I was never interrupted. <laughs> Unlike me, who interrupts you constantly. <laughs> I really love and welcome your interruptions, though. Oh. Because that's what I love about this podcast is getting to have conversations about this stuff. Yeah, it was literally like the whole point the whole point of this podcast from yeah. the beginning yeah and thank you again weirdos for listening please do not forget to rate review subscribe on spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts right and especially hit that bell button if you listen to this on spotify cuz then you get the episodes as soon as they drop yeah that's a really good tip yeah all right weirdos thank you so much until next time until next time adios <laughs>